What? The food? What? 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 <laughs> I mean, this is an area of history that's just like so deep. And over the baguette. Themes of empire, mission, inheritance, and destiny. Uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> you sure you're ready? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello. You can sound see. like a fucking prospector. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck was that that came out of my mouth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome along. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. Let's get it together. We, we've got a lot to get through. <laughs> All right. Hello and welcome to What the Food. This is a uh, food podcast that aims to uncover the fascinating origin stories behind dishes from all around the world, both popular and obscure. Uh, my name's Miles, and as always, I'm here with Andy. And it's our mission to sort of delve into history and uncover the fascinating truths behind. Uh, all sorts of different food items and dishes. Mm, um, it certainly is. Yeah. And today we're taking an interesting look at French toast. French toast. A Francais, a toast. Uh, oh. 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 <laughs> oh, toast, so French. Oh. I feel like there's so much more of this to come. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, think you, I think you might be right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Got a bit of a bit of a summit in there. <laughs> so yeah, French yeah. toast. French mm. toast. Lay it now, on me, Andy. Well, I, I fucking lay it on you, son. Before we get into it, I want to know mm-hmm. what first comes to your mind when I say the words French toast. What's the first thing, the very first thing that you think of when I say French toast? Um, Americans. Fat Americans. Okay. Uh, I feel like, I don't know, French toast feels like something Americans eat on the reg. Mm. I might be wrong, but yeah. in films and TV and stuff, it's, they're, they're always like, you want French toast for breakfast? I yeah, I like want French toast. Mm. Hefty. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, yeah, that's fair enough. Fair enough. So for me, the first thing is mm-hmm. um, big fucking, big Dwayne Johnson tucking into a massive cheat meal. Yes, you know, like, on his like, Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's all. He always seems to be. It's the sushi like, that gets me. It's the yeah, sushi. Yeah, yeah. It's when he has his sushi days. Oh my god, he has like the biggest platter of sushi, isn't it? Oh like god, like but- him, him, him eating that giant portion is like celebrated because he's done so much heft of workouts mm. during the week. But if we were to post something like that on our Instagrams, <laughs> yeah. it would yeah. be as though we've hit we've hit like rock bottom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or no, the, I think the no, what would no, actually you happen missed is it. you missed you missed it you missed it there, mate. Oh, rock bottom! <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, <lad. laughs> uh, not again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> These were throughout last episode. <laughs> Get ready for more of I was listening to it back, and it was like six or seven. <laughs> oh, right, okay, that's that's what we're doing then, is it? That's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There might be a couple more teasers. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so what is he eating french toast is he is that what because i've never seen the french toast ones yeah does he yeah, have that so it's, it basically what it looks like he's just taken a whole loaf of bread cut it in half mm. and just toasted it <laughs> just put loads of stuff on it <laughs> so french toast eggy bread 
Bombay toast, German toast, gypsy toast, or poor Knights of Windsor is a dish made of sliced bread <laughs> soaked in beaten egg and typically milk. Right, wait a minute. Wow, no, 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 keep it going. <laughs> what we'll the fuck are these names? <laughs> all right, all right, continue. So, so it's it's yes, yeah, it's, it's sliced bread um, mm-hmm. soaked in beaten egg and typically milk. Mm-hmm. Now, some people actually flavour the milk too with cinnamon, vanilla, or sugar to give it a you know it, to give the bread a deeper mm-hmm. flavour. I never thought of doing that, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. Once once soaked, uh, the bread is then pan fried until crispy and caramelised. You know, and you'll mm-hmm. you'll often find French toast topped with fruit, powdered sugar, syrup, or butter, that sort of stuff. However, yeah. it can be served as savoury dish too. With shit like ketchup mm. or mayonnaise being used to sauce it up. We've always called it eggy bread. We've always called it eggy bread. We have. You're absolutely mm. right. I mean, what, what do you think of French toast? You like it? <laughs> it's just like, it's so typical, isn't it, of uh, English people to take something that sounds so like posh and luxurious, like, oh, French toast. And it's like, it's really nice thing, which is like eggy bread. <laughs> It's like, it's like such an English straight to the point way of saying it, isn't it? Well, I think you might be wrong, as you'll see later on. Oh, shit. I I think you're casting casting blame when there is none. Well, all right. But anyway, we'll we'll, we'll get onto it. You'll see. (laughs) Um, So what do you think of French toast? Have you ever eaten it? Um, Yeah. My dad used to make, um, used to make eggy bread. Yeah. Did we eat it with anything else or was it just on its own? I think it was just on its own. It's quite a stodgy dish yeah. really isn't it yeah i think we used to have like one or two bits of that and then some ketchup yeah. maybe so i yeah, think we like, i think i've only like ever really had it in the savory but yeah yeah exactly mm. i don't think i've ever had it with fruit or anything yeah yeah of course mm. yeah so before doing the research for this episode i actually had no idea how global french toast is right you know there, there looks to be like a plethora of international versions of this dish with all the very own unique mm. names and the ways of making them or whatever well i guess bread uh is is everyone's got their own way of making bread and has done for exactly. a long time and and yeah, uh, yeah. every country's had eggs haven't they exactly mate yeah anyway so there's, there's an international versions of this dish all over the world um and now because i'm a nice friend mm. um i'm going to kind now of. get miles here to struggle through reading a selection of the various French toasts around the world. So, Miles, if you'd if you please. In Algeria, it's called Pin d'Are. Denmark, they call it Arme Ridere. In France, they call it Pan Pardu. In Greece, they call it Avgoffetes. <laughs> In Poland, they call it Chlebwilajaku. <laughs> that was going to be our favourite one. <laughs> and in the Netherlands, they call it... Oh god! Wait a minute. When tell Tejefs or go on and brood? <laughs> wow! I feel like I've got a friend called Mark who um, is from the Netherlands, and whenever I've heard him speaking Dutch, it just feels like they are adding unnecessary words or letters, uh, and it's just like I feel. Like saying, I would like a cup of tea would be like a five minute conversation in Dutch. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's Unnecessarily complicated. Yeah. Like obviously here you've got like in France, pan per du. And then Netherlands, you've got wentelegervis or yeah. and brood. In terms of it. syllables, it's like 10 times. Yeah. No, absolutely. Mm. So I spent some time basically trying to understand why French toast is popular worldwide. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think the answer is pretty simple, and it kind of kind of builds upon what you said just just a yeah. second ago. You know, what what are the three main things that are almost included, almost always included in everyone's mm-hmm. grocery shopping? You know, mm-hmm. what three things do people most rely on as sustenance? For, you know, around the world, it's, yeah. it's bread, milk, 
and eggs. Eggs. Mm. What is what is French toast? Those three fuckers mixed together, basically. Yeah. What you did know? my dad say when he went out the house once and never came home? Hey guys, I'm off to get some milk, eggs, bread. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I'm joking. That never happened. <laughs> <laughs> but I bet it's happened before. Yeah. So not only, uh, you know, is it the ingredients to the worldwide excuse use of, of abandoning <laughs> your family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's also that. It's also French toast. <laughs> <sighs> that's that's just that's just my own theory, but I th- I think it makes perfect sense. Yeah, definitely does. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into the history of French toast. Mm. Now, you just said French. French, I know. <laughs> like, it's become French. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, French. T- <laughs> French toast. <laughs> oh, God. God, we've got the giggles. Got oh. giggles. <laughs> now, you may be thinking, this episode is going to be shit, as French toast is obviously French. The clue is in the name. Mm. Well, that is both rude and wrong. The mm. earliest known reference to French toast actually dates all the way back to ancient Rome. Ancient Rome, that is right. So our guy Caesar, in between mouthfuls of his salad, might have been chomping on some French toast. Well, guy. So the reference is in a collection of Latin recipes known as the Apicus. The Apicus dates back to around the 1st century AD, and its name is taken from the habits of one Marcus Gavius Apicus. Sick name. Romans just have cool names, just all year, don't all, they? All, all year round, cool names being being dropped out. Mm, it's just like every single person sounds like they are fit to be a leader. Mm, yeah, just exactly. A leader of an empire. Exactly. Mm. Now, Marcus Gavius Apicus was a Roman gourmet who lived sometime in the first century AD during the reign of Emperor Tiberius, who was the um, he was the second emperor that took over from Augustus. So he's a second right. Roman emperor. So he's you know pretty early days still, but. Um, what is a gourmet? Someone that enjoyed their food, basically. Really? Because mm. okay, I thought it was like a profession. I, I think I think it is. I, th- I think he's a, I think he's a trained chef that just um, mm. travels around. He's he's obviously got a lot of money, so he can just travel right. around trying different things and eating things and writing about food. Because I heard of, I was speaking to some a friend of mine a few years ago, and it's, this has just reminded me of a conversation we had because we were talking about the Romans and just how much they enjoyed food. I think like they were mm. obviously like a civilization that had abundance. I don't know if, yeah. if it's true to say that they were one of the first that had this level of abundance. Um, yeah, definitely. But, you know, the empire. Yeah. So they've got this massive empire that they've built. They've got all this money. And then with that comes, you know, all the luxuries of that. And food was one mm. of the biggest things. And um, I remember speaking to my mate and he'd read in a book that the, the Romans enjoyed eating so much that they paid people to so when you when when they've gorged themselves so much at a banquet and they they're full to the brim can't eat any more food, mm. it was someone's job to help that person throw up so that they could then return mm. to eating food. They could Believe eat more. It. Believe it. I wonder how much you get paid at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <Someone that's> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's just you know goes to show how much they they ate and yeah, how much they cared about food. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, now it's impossible to attribute the Apicus cookbook directly to Apicus himself, but this guy mm-hmm. truly looked to have lived a life of luxury. Mm-hmm. He would basically travel around eating tasty sheet uh, sheet <laughs> <laughs> tasty sheet <laughs> tasty. You want to eat some tasty sheet? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh god. So yeah, he would he would basically travel around eating tasty shit and meeting cool people. He advised that the tongue of a flamingo had superb flavour. He Whoa. wouldn't eat cabbage as that was a food of the common people, and he would always drown his red mullet fish in fish sauce before cooking. I mean I kind of lost a little bit of respect for this guy when he said that he thought that cabbage wasn't a good food item. I agree because with you. Big fan of cabbage, I am. I'm a big fan of cabbage, and there's lots you can mm. do with cabbage. And I think yeah. the flavour of cabbage is very delightful. So, mm. But what a job, though, just going around and just for, just eating food. Isn't it? Especially, especially in them days where like a lot of the, the population was just peasants and weren't, weren't leaving their own country. And he, this guy was fucking going around eating flamingo tongs. One source said he was... Born to enjoy every extravagant luxury that could be contrived. Mm. Born to enjoy it. Born to enjoy it. That's how, mm. that's how much he like relished the luxury that was around him and took part in it. Yeah, my guy. My guy. So another little story that we have about Apicus is... Having heard of the boasted size and sweetness of the shrimps taken near the Libyan coast, Apicus commandeered a boat and crew, but when he arrived, disappointed by the shrimps he was offered by the local fishermen who came alongside in their boats, and comparing them to the excellent crawfish he was accustomed to eat at his villa, he turned round and returned to Minturne without going ashore. So this guy sailed all the way from his villa to to a place near the Libyan coast because of... Mm. um, he heard that they were boasting about the uh, good shrimps. He got there, yeah. saw they were shit shrimps, and just left without even going ashore. <laughs> what a G. What yeah, a, I mean, like you said before, in times where there's like peasants and there's famine, and, yeah. and he's just probably embarking on an expensive journey. Like He's obviously mm-hmm. had to like hire a boat and crew, yeah, and crew. he's sailed yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And he just looked at their shrimps and been like, nah, turned around, come home. Yeah, exactly. Big dog. <laughs> anyway, his book had recipes typical of the dietary habits of, of the ancient world, you know, around the Mediterranean. M- most of his recipes are actually geared towards the wealthier mm-hmm. people. So what, using recipes that at the time would have been too expensive for common people to obtain, sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he did, he did have some everyday recipes in there, but they, it was geared towards the wealthier of uh, the individuals at the time. Right, right. So here's an example of, of a recipe within the book for a lamb stew. Put the pieces of meat into the pan. Finely chop an onion and coriander, pound pepper, lovage, cumin, garum, oil and wine. Turn out into the shallow pan, thicken with wheat starch. If you take lamb, you should add the contents of the mortar while the meat is still raw. If kid... Add it to while it is cooking. Pretty standard recipe. I mean, it's pretty mm. pretty vague, but I don't know what if kid means. Yeah, if kid. Mm, so wait, so he's saying add the contents of the mortar. So that's all the ground stuff he's ground up. Mm. While the meat is still raw, if kid, add it while it is cooking. If kid. So it's something about the meat. Yeah, so he's, he's making a marinade, isn't he, in, in the first one? Mm. He's making like a rub. But then yep. if, if kid, I don't know what if kid is. Is that if the meat, okay. like something to do with yeah if you've yeah. something's stopping him being able to put that marinade on there before it's cooking mm. Mm. yeah so french toast where are we french toast is first mentioned in the apicus and is simply described as aletir dulcia and mm. this roughly translates to another sweet dish so the recipe for the aletir dulcia says break fine white bread crust removed into rather large pieces which soak in milk and beaten eggs fry in oil Cover with honey and serve. Basically the same mm. we do today, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah, not much different. So, I mean, like, little, if anything, 
really looks to have changed of the basic basic method for making mm. French toast in nearly like yeah. two thousand years. Yeah. Does does that mean it's the perfect food? Kind of. I kind, mean, it's kind, kind of like how crocodiles and alligators haven't evolved as they're the perfect killer machines. Yes, yeah. There's, no, there's, no, there's been no need to really uh, no. alter the recipe because it's just good as it is. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's past the test of time. Well, let's see. Let's see if, if it does evolve at any point in history and if there's a change between between now and then. The next time that we see French toast pop back up in history is during the medieval era. You okay. know, the, the simple concoction of, of bread, eggs, and milk kind of makes a batter that was then used mm. to make stale loaves more palatable. Right, you know, right. It, it was a way of taking basically leftover bread and making and reusing it, it editable. Exactly. Right. Yeah, because you yeah, cause you're, just, you're covering it in stuff and you're frying it again. Yeah, so exactly. You can kind of mask any dryness that it had, yeah. Exactly. Now, it's, it's disputed as to whether the individual areas of, of, of Europe sort of stumbled upon the discovery you know, by themselves, because like, like we said earlier, everyone's got those sort of three things knocking around or everyone knows about those three things. We know that there was a dish that was highly popular in the medieval era, particularly in England, called soupe d'orte. However, it's unclear whether it was brought over from what's now France by the Normans or if it was just, a, you know, developed in, in, in the same time, you know, yeah. the locals in the area. What was it called? Soup d'orte. Soup d'orte. Yeah. I'm trying to think what kind of language that sounds like. Obviously, because yeah. like the language we speak today in this country is such a culmination of different influences, isn't it? And some, some yeah. words <clears throat> lend themselves more to like the Germanic side of things than others are more Roman influence, aren't they? And um, some a lot of words we speak have got Latin influences, haven't they? Mm, but I don't know okay. what that is, though. What that, the, that sound that doesn't really sound like anything. I mean, it, it could be... Like obviously the Normans came over around this mm. time or before, obviously, so that could have yeah. affected the language. The first written mention of French toast comes from the court mm. of Henry V of England. Mm. It was called pan perdu or lost pan perdu. bread. Pan perdu. See, that sounds kind of French. Mm. Pan perdu. Pan perdu. Henry, yeah. you want the pan perdu? I want the pan perdu. Okay, see you later. Where's my pan perdu? Coming. Pan perdu ah. time. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, pan, pan perdu translates to lost bread. Now, mm. lost bread, what, what's that? So lost bread is perhaps a reference to the fact that the battering rescues the bread. That would have been right. would have been discarded lost. as too old. Right, okay, mm. right. Now, lost bread. It's pretty, pretty murky because around the same time, separate texts from around Europe also included their own versions of French toast. So in Spain, mm. there was something called Torriga, um, and in Germany, it was called Amrita. Right, right. So, you know, like it's, you can't really attribute its its continued creation, even more so with this one, because obviously it's three ingredients that a lot of pl- places yeah, in Europe yeah, have yeah. in abundance. You know, so there's, there's people going to be coming up with it yeah. at the same time. Before we go any further, I found something strange about that German translation. Oh, yeah. Armrita. So Armrita in English translates to poor knight, as in K-N, oh, like, right, a soldier, okay. like a knight. And poor, does it mean poor so as in this. financially poor or poor as in like feel sorry yeah, for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. No, no, financially right, okay. poor. So I saw this and was like, I was rock hard because I thought there was going to be some mad little story behind this that I could just go into and be like, what's the tale of the poor knight? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was an interesting story, but what I came across is is pretty odd and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I thought I'd share it anyway. I thought it was kind of cool. So the dish is thought to have gained its name from the order of knights established by Edward III. Edward number three. Mm, Yeah. So the, the dish is thought to be named after... An order created right. by him. So order of okay. knights. So 
quick quick quote to summarize Edward the Third, just in case anybody wasn't familiar with him. He was the flower of earthly warriors, under whom to fight was to rule, to go forth was to prosper, to contend was to triumph. Against his foes he was grim as a leopard toward his subjects, mild as a lamb. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> Oh, but anyway, yeah, pretty pretty decent ruler. Yeah, I mean, they're speaking very fondly of him there, really, aren't they? He was the flower yeah, exactly. of earthly warriors. It sounds like they had a lot of nice things to say about him. Hmm. Yeah, they did. So, the yeah. poor knights. So, the, the poor knights are men who have fallen on hard times, basically. They're a group right. of men that have fallen on hard times after the Battle of Cressy in 1346, where the English lost just 300 men. And the French are thought to have lost 4,000 men. Whoa. Yeah, mate. Where was this um, battle taking place? Was it on French soil or...? Yeah, it was, it was, it was on French soil. It was in France. Mm, right. It was on a, um, on a campaign that the, uh, the English were uh, expanding into, into France. And this is the 1300s, is it? Yeah, 1346, the Battle of Cressy. Now, a fun, right, okay. fun little fact about the Battle of Cressy. It was the first and biggest battle in which English longbowmen fought against knights and Whoa. absolutely just dominated. So this this, this is this is where, where the longbows were first used, yeah, yeah, really. Exactly, yeah. This this is where the English oh, longbow nice. established itself as a powerhouse basically. Wow. This this was this was the battle. Because I remember doing like a lesson in history about this and it was like one of mm. the few uh, lessons I actually paid <laughs> paid attention to. <laughs> but it was like um yeah, it was, they were talking about the fact that we used kind of the same type of bow for a long period of time, didn't we? And almost mm. like every country in the world was using a similar style bow. And then we developed this long one, didn't we, that could shoot much greater distances and then also yeah. way more powerfully as well, wasn't it? It could pierce uh, thicker armour. and Yeah, exactly. I think it, it just made us um, a lot better in battle, didn't it, for quite some time? 100%, yeah. I mean, it was it was like mm. the thing that won this battle. Um, anyway, although the, the battle was a resounding victory for the English, a couple of knights were, were still captured by the French. And in order Shit. to be set free, they had to sell off their home estates and basically ransom themselves out of capture thus leaving them poor. Yeah, these, poor. these knights have been captured. They've had to sell their estates, ransom themselves out of, out of French captivity, um, and now they're poor. So the story goes that Edward felt bad for these poor knights, for these knights, and set up the poor knights of Windsor. Oh, nice Edward. Yeah, exactly. So the, the knights were given residence in Windsor Castle, and they worked off their, their housing by performing duties around the castle. Suck my dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's it. Edward's yeah. not so nice anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking 180 there. <laughs> Come live with me and do some chores and pay off your debts. No problem. <laughs> no, I don't think they were doing that. They were doing other stuff. No. Other okay. more godly stuff. But obviously, as they were poor. Clean my crucifix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. On-site crucifix cleaners. That's what they were. <laughs> I have four dedicated crucifix cleaners in Windsor Castle operating at the moment. <laughs> one buffer, one polisher, one washer, one positioner. <laughs> They're all, all four of them are working the same crucifix at the moment. <laughs> oh, anyway, they're poor, right? Mm. They're poor, living, for, living, I was going to say rent-free, but I suppose they are working for it by cleaning yeah. crucifixes. You mm. know, they, they, they can only afford very, very basic things to eat. So what yeah. do they buy? They buy bread, they buy eggs, and they buy milk. Naturally, they start experimenting as eating the same shit 
every night would have been probably worse than staying a captive of the French. So, eventually, they are said to have concocted French toast. Oh, here we go. Here is the poor knight's recipe for French toast. Cut two penny loaves in round slices and dip them in half a pint of cream or fair water. Then lay them abroad in a dish and beat three eggs and grated nutmegs and sugar and beat them with the cream. Then melt some butter in a frying pan and wet the sides of the toast and lay them in on the wet side. Then pour in the rest upon them and so fry them. Serve them in rose water, sugar and butter. Mm, rose water. Mm, Sounds rose quite water. like luxurious, isn't it? Exactly. The fact that it mentions rose water and nutmeg and sugar, like, I don't know, this story's nice, but I think it's got too many holes in it. Like, mm. if they were so poor, surely there's cheaper stuff to eat than bread, eggs and milk. Like yeah, and also if they're example. if they're living in Windsor Castle under, you know, the roof of Edward III, then there's going to be kitchen staff on yeah. hand that have all of the food to be able to cook them. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I, yeah, I, I'm not really buying this, this story. It's, it's an interesting story, but I, I don't know. I'm, I don't really buy it, to be honest. Fun, funnily enough, the, the poor knights of Windsor still exist today. No way. They, they're still around, but they're no longer necessarily poor. And they're not, they're not called that anymore. They're not called the poor knights of Windsor. They're known as military knights and mostly consists of sort of pensioners, military pensioners. But they right. still live. They still live in Windsor Castle and they still perform duties, still cleaning crucifixes. Still cleaning those crucifixes. <laughs> <laughs> so they're still around. They're still, they're still in Windsor Castle doing bits and bobs. Yeah, yeah they're still around, yeah. Uh. Now, we've spoken about the English side of things. You know, surely, given its name, the French have something to do with it, Right. So the French come into the equation thanks to one of the most important figures in medieval French cuisine. This is going to be difficult to pronounce, so bear with me. Guillaume Tyrell. Oh. So it's G-U-I-L-L-A-U-M-E. Guillaume. Guillaume, maybe? Guillaume Tyrell. Anyway, Mr. Tyrell, helpfully, was known as Talivent. T A I. L-L-E-V-E-N-T. Talevent? This is what, his nickname? Yeah, that's what he was known as. Right, okay. Televent was a cook in the kitchens of the French court during the Hundred Years' War that we've just spoken about. So he's he's in the French uh, court kitchens. You know, he started off as a humble kitchen boy and ascended the ranks until he was a head chef under Philip the Sixth. Oh, hello. Can I come into the kitchen? <laughs> no, Guillermo. Ah, uh, please. So th- this this dude is considered like one of the first truly professional master chefs, and Whoa. he died at the ripe old age, ripe old age of eighty. <laughs> died at the hands of rape <laughs> at eighty. <laughs> so, he died at the old rape. <laughs> he died at the old eighty rape. Oh God! Right, oh. fuck you know. So he died at eighty. Yeah, so he lived lived a long time. So th- this dude, yeah, he's considered like one of the truly professional master chefs, and mm-hmm. he, he, he was the author of a cookbook named Le Viandier, which was arguably one of the most influential French cookery books from the Middle Ages. Right. So he's so he's a sort of a grandfather of French cuisine. Then really, this guy. Exactly. Exactly. So this 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 cook book is so influential that it's argued that this book was was the foundation of, of French gastronomic tradition. Whoa. Mm. I mean it's it's safe to say he's a big deal and you know he'd had a he had a lasting effect on yeah. world cuisine. I you know I I think it'd be really cool to do like a separate series where we look at these influential food people. people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, cuz they're going to have such crazy stories behind them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like looking at their lives, looking at the times they were living in and looking at like their 
top recipes. I think yeah, cool. yeah, definitely. Let us know. Let if us you know. Hear that in the future. Mm, definitely, that's an avenue we can go down. One hundred percent. Yeah, because I mean, we've all, like in the last few episodes we've done, we've touched on you know a few few people that would make really good yeah. individual episodes because we just didn't have enough time to fully get yeah. into them. You know, in these ones. So, but anyway, mm. back to back to where we're at. So, surely. A chef so influential in serving the crown court isn't spending his time serving up fucking stale bread soaked in eggs, right? Surely not. Wrong. Uh, what? Within his cookbook, the La Vienda, there is a recipe for Tostis Dores. I hope I'm saying that right. Tostis Dores. Dores. Or r- it roughly translates to golden toast. Right. Golden cool. toast. So here, here, is the, uh, here is the recipe, roughly translated to English. So, for toasted golden bread, you take hard white bread and cut it into square toasts and roast them together on the gravel and have moilich dürfs batus and wrap them very well in eisleich mulnich and to have good healthy schalt and to brown them in it on the fire as long as they are nice and well browned and then to put them inside the payel and put on the plats. And success on. Not a great translation at <laughs> no, all. No, no, no. I could not find a translation for it. I that is couldn't. a AI but in a, <laughs> Google translation. <laughs> yeah, 100%. 100%. But you get the idea. You get the idea. Yeah. You know, it, it, what's interesting about this guy's recipe is that he doesn't use milk. He just uses eggs and butter. I was going to say, when we do eggy bread, or when we used to do eggy bread, we never put milk with it. It was literally just mm. eggs in the bowl, bit of salt and pepper, bread, yeah. dippy dippy, fry it. I think the the milk is more used on the sweet versions of the dish. Right, because yeah, you were saying before you use the milk to help infuse extra flavour, so like cinnamon and mm. um, yeah, exactly. stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, his his recipe here, it's not so different. It's just lacking the milk. Yeah. Um, but again, he he doesn't call it French toast. He calls it toasties dores. Yeah. So dores. where the fuck is that is is that name coming from? Yeah. We've we've traversed the murky waters of of Altia, Dulcia, Lost Bread, Toasties Dores, mm. the Poor Knights of Windsor. You'd be glad to know we've entered the age of the French toast. Wow. We've arrived. It was really? in the 17th century that the term French toast first appeared in England. So the 17th century. To be precise, it was year 1660. Whoa. Which, in the grand scheme of things, it was a pretty fucking significant year, mate. Yeah. So significant, in fact, that historian Ian Mortimer said it was only eclipsed by the events of 1066 in terms of the sheer impacts on ordinary English folks' lives. Fucking hell. What went down? So Battle of Hastings, 1066. Yeah. Like, this this is a big year. So what's, what's happening? What is happening? Well, mate, it's basically the Empire Strikes Back. 1660 was a year in which the monarchy, more specifically Charles II, was restored to power. Mm-hmm. Now, before 1660, there was no such thing as the King of England. You know, England was ruled thanks to Oliver Cromwell by a protector of the Commonwealth rather than a rather than a monarch. Oh, so thanks to Ollie's death in 1658 and his son's lack of sway with the military, a power vacuum had opened. <laughs> Who would fill this vacuum? Who's going to fill it? Who's going to fill it? Well, buckle up and welcome to England, episode five, The Crown Strikes Back. Oh my God. The return of to England of the Prince Charles Stuart in May 1660 and his ascension meant that the re-establishment of the monarchy and a different form of government. Ooh, big changes, big changes. Big changes, radical changes that would have had a profound effect on the people's lives up and down the country. Now, we could probably spend about three days fucking going through mm. all this and the details and stuff, but... All you need to know is 
Times are a changing, baby. Times are a changing. Because I think, like, with English history in general, there is just so much to it. And I think, yeah, I man, don't think. Especially medieval. Yeah. Like, it's just, I mean, there's obviously rich history in so many other parts of the world, but I think what might make English history uh, stand out from the crowd is just how well documented it is. Um, mm, you know, yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean there was more happening here. It's just that there was so much information and there's so much lasting information mm. on it that we, you know, we can tell these stories in great depth. And I think I had this problem when I was doing, um, when I was doing Cottage Pie because I just could have gone so much more into the history of England and what was happening around yeah. that time. But uh, mm-hmm. we just don't have the time for it, do we? No, we don't have the time. For I think it. the other thing as well is that we're going to be covering so many dishes as well that we're probably going to head back to these points in history uh, through other, you know, through researching and um, delving into mm. other dishes. So, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. we'll be back. We'll cover it. We'll mm. take it off. Yeah. So the first appearance of, the, of, of French toast, a dish actually called French toast, was in a book called The Accomplished with a T. Oh. Not a D. Whoa. Not an E D. Cook. Accomplished. It was, um, accom- accomplished. <laughs> it sounds like twenty one savage or something. <laughs> <laughs> accomplished. <laughs> so yeah, so the, the accomplished cook. Whoa. By twenty one savage. <laughs> <laughs> Great name. Uh no, this this book was published by a professional cook. By the name of Robert May. What we know about Robbo. Robert May, uh, Robbo, big, big Rob, big Rob Stein. So an auctioneer by the name of Charles Hansen is reported as saying, May would have been very much the Gordon Ramsay of his day, something of a celebrity chef. Mm. Imagine what this sort of, uh, this sort of character's like, big Robbo. Big Robbo. Hey everyone. Robbo and his accomplished. <laughs> accomplished. <laughs> <a big> lad. <laughs> accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the the book itself is organized into 24 broad sections and mm-hmm. it's it's just jam-packed full of shit yeah stuff like good how stuff. to make haggis Whoa. how to make rice pudding three ways to make a bisque we need to get our hands on this book mm, yeah i think it'd be be different it? to uh, cook something out of it There's, they've got like bone marrow pies my god mad a pie um, like i know bone marrow is often used to like help add flavor to sauces maybe or but to have a whole pie dedicated to yeah. bone marrow like bone how marrow. fucking <laughs> concentrated it's is so, that so yeah you like it, it? Uh, yeah it's good <laughs> can i have a glass of water please <laughs> No water, only mead. <laughs> yeah. Only only bo- bone marrow bone mead. Bone marrow mead. Served in the antlers yeah. of a book. <laughs> Being a vegetarian that time would have just been horrendous. <laughs> mm. Well, a lot, a lot of meat was obviously... Not everyone had meat, access to meat either. So they're quite naturally eating a high vegetable diet. Mm. Yeah, wheat, oats, mm. that sort of shit. So yeah, his, his book's got loads of different recipes in it. But the thing we're interested in is his French toast recipe. You know, we, we've had all that other shit before it, which is essentially French toast, but it, they, they've, it's not called French toast no. in those in those accounts. This is the mm. first time. So his recipe actually leaves out the eggs and just opts for milk instead. And he actually oh suggests soaking the pre-toasted bread in a solution of wine, sugar and orange juice. Whoa. So that's kind of like a spiced version. Yeah. He called it Big Bob's Boozy Toast. <laughs> Big Bob's Boozy toast. Uh, why? Why no uh, egg though? Surely that. I mean, I, I know like some recipes before had milk and some others and others didn't. But I thought that the one thing that it would require yeah. would be the egg. Like that is the mm. ground of the dish, isn't it? Really? And he's yeah. done it just with yeah. milk. He's, he's frying milk 
drenched bread and butter as well. I think. Right. Okay. Well. Obviously, you didn't call it Big Big Bob's boozy toast. You know, he should have, but he called it French toast instead. I know what you're thinking. It's all fucking very well and good, Andy, but this is an English cookbook, mm. not a French cookbook. So why the fuck is it called French toast? Yeah, why? Well, child, well, child, sit yourself down, have a mouthful of Listerine, and I'll tell you. The theory goes that the French part of French toast is not derived from the country, but it is instead a reference to the old Irish verb to French. To French. To French in Old Irish means to slice. Hence, French toast is sliced bread. You're joking. You're joking. To French. That's that's where they think it could have come from. So the Irish term. I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you. 100% that's the reason. I wish I could. Please. But I can't. Now, and as we'll see in a, in a moment, there are actually a few different thoughts, more different thoughts and myths on how French toast got its name. Right. Fucking hell. This isn't no, exactly. This is this isn't just fucking tie it up, nice little bow on it. You'd have thought this episode, right? French cuisine, just like you hone in on some guy in France who's just one day just been like, Ugh, I uh, got you an idea for uh, bread uh, with milk and eggs, and then that was it. And over the baguette. <laughs> and the baguette. But you know, it's not that easy. Never is. Nope, never is. To be fair, we'd have been done five minutes in if that was the case. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Look at all this content you're getting. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, when, it's like when people are like, um, oh yeah, I don't want to start Game of Thrones because it's like uh, eight seasons yeah. long. I'm like, well, when you start it, you'll be glad there's eight seasons because it's so good. Mm-hmm. So shut up. Oh, apart f- from the last three seasons, they were a bit of shit, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. I did just compare the quality of this podcast to the quality of Game of Thrones. and I, I think it's about on par now. Yeah, I think we're getting there. I think, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're getting there. I think the production quality is the same. Uh, the writing is probably on the same level, especially for the last three seasons. Yep. Um, We've not yet uh, got think- any awards in the same way that they have, but they will soon uh, they're coming. be coming. Yep. They're coming. There's also not as much nudity in this, mm. so maybe we should work on that. We'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how we could do that, but um, yeah, we'll definitely I've get our I've got a few together. ideas. Oh, okay, right. That's great. <laughs> as with anything food-related, French toast didn't really take off and gain mass popularity until it landed on American Whoa. shores. Mm, I thought this was coming. Mm, the Americans just have a way of glorifying calories that the rest of us could only dream of. Yep. They're just so good at it. Like, they know what they've got pancakes... They've got fluffy, buttery, doughy pancakes. Mm. They they don't need anything else that's in that region of food. They don't need mm-hmm. anything else. But French toast turns up and they're just like, they just jump on it because that's just who they are. Yeah, exactly. So French toast is thought to have gained a foothold on America uh, after the Irish potato famine mm. between 1845 and 1852. Irish settlers escaped to the United States and Canada, yeah. basically, seeking a better quality of life. Yep, turning up on the shores of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Mm. And with them, they brought their culture, their language, and of course, their culinary habits. Oui. In 1871, the phrase French toast first appeared in the Encyclopedia of American Food and Drink. Oh my God. Mm. Now, I, I couldn't actually find any information mm-hmm. on what else this book had in it or what it said about French toast, but... Mm. You know, just by the name alone, I'm imagining some like healthy sized tome with fucking yeah. bacon for bookmarks and yeah. burger grease on each page. <laughs> yeah, <No>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got to on it. If it's a book about American cuisine, it's the book yeah. itself is deep fried 100%. Yeah. 
<laughs> the book is a proper crispy pages. Yeah, like. yeah. Uh, yeah. Like when you're done, when you're done reading it, you have to re-deep fry it as well. Just <laughs> yeah, all yeah, yeah. Why? Uh, excuse me. Why is this book uh, deep fat fried? What you mean, it's deep fat fried? Cautious deep fat fried. Protect the pages. How am I supposed to read it? <laughs> yeah, how am I supposed to digest this? No, no. Digest means eat. But I'm talking about digesting the information. It's the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, this, this, this story, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If you think about it, like Irish brought it with them. It grew in America from there. The rest is history. But Mm. what if I were to tell you, there is another theory, a theory full of poor grammar and limited knowledge. I don't do words too good. Well, there is. And it involved one Mr. French, Joseph French. The year is 1724 and we are in Albany, New York. So this is before, you know, the mass, influ- mass influx of, of, of Irish and, and stuff like yeah. that. This is early days of America. We're in, right, we've gone right. back inside. We're, we're, we're in Albany, New York. Coffee. Maybe, maybe. They've got, no, they probably won't have accents. Can yet. I have a coffee? No? no. Too early? No, accents yet. Too early, yeah. Too early. Fair enough. All right. Reel in. Yeah. yeah. yeah fucking reel in, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> reel that European in. Come on. <laughs> Brexit means Brexit. Yeah, it is true though. I mean, I was, um, Joanna's really into old, old uh, cinema, like uh, traditional classic cinema. And a lot of the American films, the black and white films that we watch, you wouldn't know they're American because their mm. accents are English. They've got really well-spoken yeah. Queen's English accents. Mm. And these are American people that are performing it. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it's, it's only a fairly modern thing that the American accent has kind of changed into what we know today. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, fairly modern in terms of like, you know, their history. Because they're quite yeah. new. So anyway, the year is 1724. We're in Albany, New York. Mr. French is an innkeeper looking to please his patrons and earn their repeat custom. Mm. He's in the kitchen looking to conjure up something tasty but cheap enough to make some dollar on. What does he do? He whips up a batch of golden fried bread, bread. that was soaked in eggs and milk. <laughs> <clears throat> what does he call this wonderful creation? He names it after himself, of course. Of course he does. The ego creeping in. The ego creeping in. But French because dude. because he's a humble innkeeper... Mm-hmm. And Grammarly wasn't around back then. He makes a mistake in the naming. Instead of calling it French's toast, yeah. he mistakenly called it French toast, leaving out the apostrophe in the end. Oh my god, that is oh, so American, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. What a dickhead! I made an oopsie. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. And the rest <sighs> is history, as they say. That's it. So is that so? We don't. We still. We still. We're still kind of like umming and ahhing here about which one is the legit. No, nah, no. Nah, I, I, I for one think this is bullshit. I think this story is complete horseshit. Yeah. I think that Mister French just fucking loved French toast so mm. much that he want he wanted to be involved in history somehow. somehow. Yeah. Or he wanted to give his in like a unique selling point. He wanted to be like this is the place where this was created. Uh, fr- yeah, yeah, exactly. Because exactly. we had this with the uh, tikka masala episode when we were saying mm. that. Uh, the, you know the, the the big claim that tikka masala was made in Glasgow, and yeah. we were saying you know it very well could be created there. But the other the other side of it, you know, the restaurant could be using it as clout, you know, as a way to get yeah. people through the yeah. door. So yeah, we don't know, do we? Really, yeah. it does sound very yeah, unlikely, doesn't it? Seen as though it's been eaten so much uh, in Europe before mm. this point as well. Yeah, I think so. I I think the Irish immigrant story is far more reasonable. I think, mm. especially yeah. given given the timings and the um, the mention in the encyclopedia. But to be honest, for me, 
the most convincing explanation of the name French toast is, right, when, when we call something French, it seems fancier, doesn't it? Yeah. So by calling something French, it allows like innkeepers and chefs to add more money onto whatever mm. they're selling. Yeah, giving it a, look, a luxury element. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And mm. it's like, obviously, loads of innkeepers and places all over Europe and now America have these three ingredients. That is an easy dish that they can whip up, call mm. French toast and fucking sell it. Just Yeah, because it, it's weird though, isn't it, that, that France as a country is kind of synonymous with just like luxury mm. and fine things, you know, like the yeah. cuisine and the culture. It's like, it's just very romantic, the whole thing, isn't it? They've kind of got a monopoly on that romanticism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, as, as Stephen Block, editor-in-chief of The Kitchen Project, explains. We have an admiration for French cuisine, which we consider to be elaborate and gastronomic. And that's probably why this dish was named that way. It's just marketing. The name sounds good and the French adjective gives it a high quality connotation. There's no chance that lost bread could have worked. And since the dish was successful and the recipe was easy, the name spread. There That's we go. It. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds like the most likely origin for me. Yeah. You know? It's like a continental breakfast. It sounds very posh uh, and very yeah. luxurious, but it's exactly. in reality, it's just a, quite a, a basic spread really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people wanted to make stale bread dipped in eggs and milk sound fancy and still turn a profit. Yeah. You know, what a better way to do it? Just, yeah, exactly. Mm, exactly. So that's it. That's, interesting. that's the history and the origins of French toast. Whoa. You know, a dish, a dish seemingly ancient in origin, yeah. which which hasn't evolved in its inception. Mm. You know, it's you know since its inception, a, a simple yet delicious dish made of three core ingredients that almost every culture around the world would consider household staples. Yeah, mm. French toast, the alligator of the food world. Yeah, mm. I feel like I learned a lot there. Yeah, like, a lot of um, lot of different yeah. paths that we went down. Because mm. the thing is, when we started this podcast, we didn't really know if. I mean, we obviously had an inkling, otherwise we wouldn't have given it a go. But mm. we we didn't know for sure whether there'd be interesting stories behind you know almost every dish. And so far, every single one we've done has had an interesting story behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's always something. Yeah. There's always some interesting aspect of it. And that tends to be what yeah. I find when, when doing the research. I'll start off and I'll be like, wow, there's quite a lot here. But then you, do, you, mm. you, you you drill into it a bit more and it's like, oh, okay, this is connected yeah. to this. This is connected to that. Mm. This happened because of this. In the same year, this was going on. Could that have affected yeah. it in any way? It's something as simple as French toast as well. Mm. Just like-, like going all the way back to to Roman times I would have never would have thought that people were eating no. French toast or something similar to French toast during the yeah. time but if you think because the other way you did peanut butter and you were like oh yeah peanut butter will be like you know uh, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's like we ended up going so far back into yeah. history the peanut butter yeah yeah it's like we've 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 got like obviously there's so many dishes out there but mm-hmm. not a lot is is like a modern a, a fully modern creation yeah mm. Yeah, there's like, a, like even things that seem modern have got influences that are, that are from yeah, so exactly. far back. Well, that's the thing because like as 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 humans spread themselves across the world, we kind of discover uh, or attempt to discover everything that there is to be able to eat and and mm. use to our benefit. And we might we might not have got to that stage yet, but we we must be really close. And and then from that point onwards, it just becomes like a an exercise of swapping and changing and using mm. different quantities, mixing things differently, and yeah. you know all these world cuisines and different dishes just to are born from that process of mm. experimentation with what earth has got to offer us oh very nice it's beautiful really yeah. uh cool man well that was really cool we've got um loads of more episodes coming they're coming mm-hmm. thick and fast 
me and Andy are really enjoying doing the research and uh, editing these podcasts. We hope yep. you guys are enjoying them too. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, and that's it really. I've got nothing else to say, to be honest, no. except for thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. See ya. Mm. Bitches. Bitches. <laughs> <laughs>